Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the senior living field who are shaping our future. I'm your host, Jennifer Drago, strategy consultant and CEO of Peak to Profit. Today, I'm honored to welcome to our podcast, Michael Marlowe, and he's been involved in the senior living industry for over 28 years, beginning his career with Hillhaven and has served in various senior living sales management and sales training roles with the likes of Brookdale, Atria, and LCS. Uh, he served as a regional sales director and national vice president of sales. He currently serves as the vice president of sales education at Watercrest Senior Living Group. Michael also serves as the president of the Marlowe Group, a sales training and consulting company. He's a nationally published author and frequent national and international lecturer with over 200 presidents delivered to diverse senior living groups, such as Leading Age, State Argentum Affiliates, and many state and national healthcare conferences. He's also the author of an Argentum Best of the Best Sales Training Award program in 2014. He's a proud graduate of the University of Kentucky, and he lives in Louisville, married with two grown children, and um, the proud grandfather of four. And I remember in the presentation where we met, you shared your newest, a picture of your newest grandbaby. So congratulations for that. I bet you're really enjoying that. And thank you for being here today. Thanks, Jennifer. I appreciate it. Yeah, she's awesome. She's the first grandchild in Louisville. So I finally have one locally, which is great. That's awesome. I'm going to go ahead and give you a chance, if you would, to tell us about Watercrest Senior Living Group. And then I think at the end, we'll hear a little bit more about the Marlowe Group and, and the work you do helping all of us with our sales. Yeah, Watercrest Senior Living Group is based in Vero Beach, Florida. We operate and uh, manage 14 communities throughout the Southeast. And it's really a very atypical company. I would direct you to our website, Watercrest Senior Living Group. And I think you'll find out a lot more information there. But I've been there for almost two and a half years now, and serving as vice president of sales education has just been a dream job of mine. It's a great, great company. What a nice fit for you. And uh, we met at Leading Age Arizona, where you gave a presentation all about the sales experience. And um, you piqued my interest in so many ways, but I love the research that you bring to your job and how uh, you use it to inform how you train folks and how, how we treat our prospective residents. And so that's so important. Um, I'm going to jump right in to some of the questions. So for senior living executives and sales managers who are using the same strategies and tactics for, for the last four years, pre-pandemic or longer, can you explain what really has changed for us um, from pre-pandemic 
to now and maybe describe two or three trends that you're seeing, if you would. Yeah, it's a great question, Jennifer. And, and really, when I think about pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, you know, I go back to our customers' perception and our customers perceive that COVID is still a great uh, concern for them in the senior living space. So I think we, when we think about pre and post-COVID, we have to, again, go back to our customers and say, what do these focus groups tell us? And two words keep coming up over and over as I read research, and that is fear and distrust. So fear is largely still based on COVID and some of the media headwinds, which were inaccurately portraying what we actually did in senior living. The distrust piece of it, I think we own a little bit more of that simply because I don't think that we have served our customers the best way we possibly could. So today I want to talk about what I consider and what research points me to as the best way to concert, to, to, to serve our customers. And, and two things come to mind immediately. Number one is that we must focus on selling, not on marketing. You know, those words have been used interchangeably in our industry for, I don't know how long we've been in industry, almost six decades now. You know, they're not the same. Marketing's role is to generate leads. And my contention and research points us to, we have enough leads already in our lead bank. We don't need more leads. And I know there's a lot of people that aren't happy with that statement. But again, that's where the research leads us. Where we fall short, Jennifer, is in the selling, in the conversion of those leads into move-in. So at Watercrest Senior Living Group, we've adopted a culture that we call the sales-centered culture because we know if we don't sell to our prospective residents and their key influencers, adult children, we're never going to be able to serve them. So this sales-centered culture is the backbone of what we do. So I think, again, becoming better salespeople and better sales behavior-based people, not sales processes, but selling behaviors to create those trust-based relationships is key. And I've developed eight sales-centered sales standards, there's a little alliteration for you, that really do hone in on the eight areas that allow us to serve these customers better through our better selling behaviors. So that's number one. And I think number two is we must look at our customers as individuals and not just as part of a collective. I found out a couple of years ago that I'm a boomer. I really didn't know what to find a boomer. I'm one, yay. And I see what senior living has planned for baby boomers, and I think, no, thank you. I want to see a community that's going to see me as an individual. See me as someone, and they're going to create an experience that is unique to me and my needs and my family's needs. That's what I know I'm looking for, and my my customers tell me that that's what they're looking for also. So we really can't be a one-size-fits-all, take a one-size-fits-all approach. We have to be a one-size-fits-one approach. So, you know, I'll, I'll finish this question with one more quote, and that is, we must become addicted to selling to the individual and not marketing to the collective. They're two different things, and one is much more effective than the other. Wow, that that's an impressive quote and something I think all sales managers should have in their office um, on their wall. That's um, really good advice. I think, um, you know, I learned from hearing you speak that you urge senior living providers not to focus on the tour. <laughs> you know, we want to get them in the door. We want all those leads in our database. And the goal is get them in the door, get them on a tour. Um, you really focus on creating an experience. And can you tell us more about the elements of an experience? Yeah, and these really aren't just words. Uh, it really, they do mean two different things. A tour 
you know, it, it connotes a genericness to it, a sameness to it. We tour museums, we tour historical monuments. They're pre-planned events. And think about the impact a generic tour has for our customers. What message does that send to our customer that you're all alike, that your experience here is going to be generic? I don't think so. And I don't think that's the message that we want to send. But tours are easy and we tend to fall back on that. Experiences, specifically meaningful, memorable, and unique experiences are the future, I believe, of our industry. It's that source, it's that taste of what life can be like for a prospective resident. That's where they get it, is in that meaningful, memorable, and unique experience. Before they're ever a resident, when they're just a prospective resident, a customer seeking the best fit for them and their family and for their needs. So everybody talks about the resident experience. I've read more data about resident experience in the last six months, I think, than I have in my entire career. But we have to focus on the prospective resident experience before we can even expect them to become residents in our community. And, and just think about how we're portrayed in the media. I mean, the headwinds that we face, which I mentioned briefly before, it, it's a, it, COVID's not the only headwind that we face. We face a reputation of of sameness, if you will, generic tours. Um, it, it's almost like we've become somewhat of a commodity business in some circles and in some markets out there. And we certainly can't afford to do that. And the research says that, you know, we're better than that as well. I, I do, I teach a program, Jennifer, called We Are Senior Living. We were built for this. And it was very popular during COVID simply because we were a beaten down industry mm -hmm. by these headwinds. And this was a motivating uh, it, and it also was a research base to share the facts about what senior living did and accomplished during the COVID era. Let me give you one quick fact, if I could, because there's research from a group called Marcus and Millichats that I find to be absolutely encouraging. And Marcus and Millichats surveyed 800,000 assisted living level residents during the height of the pandemic and asked the question or surveyed and said, what percentage of these residents had contracted COVID? Remember, height of the pandemic, and 0.87% had contracted COVID. Do our customers know that statistic? Do our sales teams know that? Does anyone know that? That statistic was buried. We've got to unbury it. We've got to share it with our customers. And if we don't, who will? And mm -hmm. the answer is nobody will. So we have to do that. And even though it might not be the most efficient, to share it one person at a time, it really is our only option. And it's a great way to build those trust-based relationships. And again, there's so much more research and so much more data that I could cite, but that's an important point that I hope people will take away. And this research is available. I'm an email away and be glad to share this research with anyone. Perfect. Thank you. You did say that in our presentation and um, I found you amazingly easy to talk to over email. So. Um, Yes, anything that Michael shares today and you want to learn more about, um, uh, number one, email him. But number two, if you ever get a chance to see Mike speak, um, it, it's amazing because it's chock full of research. And I love how you connect the research to what you teach. Yeah, so, so okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more, I think, about these experiences through examples that you're creating for your prospective residents. Uh, you use the term team cell. And I know you believe that um, that experience and and uh, really the sales centered approach is not just owned by the sales office, the sales manager, or the person who's um, 
speaking to the prospective resident. So what does it mean to team sell? And can you give us an example about how you like to involve different members of the senior living team as part of uh, that process of making a sale? Yeah, every single day I get success stories that cross my desk and they're just so so encouraging and so validating that the approach that we are taking, and again, what the research points us toward, I'll try to quit saying that, but it's important um, that, that we're on the right track with this. But it's hard to create an experience for our customers. It's pretty easy to give a tour. It's pretty easy to say sales does sales and everybody else does operations. That just can't be true anymore. And let me give you a personal example, if I could, Jennifer, and then I'll specifically answer the question about team selling. This is a team selling example because I am not only have been in the senior living industry for 29 almost years now, but I also am a consumer of senior living. And in 2014, my father passed away and my mother was a 84-year-old, widowed, senior perfect demographic for our community. So immediately I said to mom, hey, mom, let's look at senior living opportunities. And we did. After a little bit of persuasion, we did. And the team selling that happened in the community that she eventually chose was amazing. Now, again, we visited 11 communities. I would argue that 10 of them just did it, for lack of a better term, wrong. They just did it wrong. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was discouraging to my mother. It was deflating for me as a senior living professional. Communities one through six just gave generic tours, period. Only one of them followed up at all, and it was a very inappropriate follow-up in my mind. But community number seven did it differently. So they combined an experience along with team selling, and here's how it happened. We got a phone call the night before from the sales director, and she said, hey, Michael, I know you're coming to visit our community. Can I ask you a few questions about your mother before you showed up? And she used these words. I want to create an experience for you like no other. And I thought, well, you have my attention anyway. So we showed up that day and there was a big sign that said, welcome to the Marlowe family as we walked in, handwritten and calligraphy and chalk. It was beautiful. And immediately the salesperson took us back to what she called the discovery room. And we sat there and we discussed her story, my mom's story for 45 minutes out of an hour. We'll never forget that. So the tour part of it was short. And almost inconsequential, it was the getting to know each other and developing that, that, that history to create this experience that, that really was the most important part. And I'm doing the short version of this story, but during that 45 minutes, we heard a knock at the door and a gentleman named Isaac showed up and Isaac introduced himself as the executive chef. And based on that conversation we had the night before, the magic started happening in this team selling experience because Isaac said, are you Mrs. Marlowe to my mother? And she said, yes, I am. And he said, my name is Isaac and I'm the executive chef here. And he produces a blueberry pie. And he said, Mrs. Marlowe, I heard that you love blueberry pie. Is that true? And my mom said, yes, it is. And I even grew up on a blueberry farm, which is true. And he said, I knew that as well. So I baked you this blueberry pie in honor of your visit today. And then he said something, Jennifer, I'll never forget. He said, and Mrs. Marlowe, I hope this is the first of many meals that I get to cook for you. It'd be my honor to do so. And Isaac took the pie to the front desk and the experience continued on. In fact, Amy appeared shortly thereafter, who was the director of activities. And she produced a calendar of events that my mother's name was already written on the ones that would apply to her, such as choir rehearsal for their church choir, such as attending church services. 
Amy had handwritten that. Where did all that come from? Well, it came from the conversation I had with the sales director the night before. But this, she turned it over to the team to do the selling. And when my mother walked out of that community, unlike the other community she walked out of, she looked me square in the eye and she said, that's where I'm going to live. Immediately, she made that connection. Team selling is the future of our industry. By the way, the team all followed up, all the department heads followed up with my mom and myself and my sister, who was on that particular experience with us. And that just made even more of an impact. So again, a short version of the blueberry pie story. But back to the question, who is involved in team selling? I think there's four buckets of people that need to be involved. Number one is the chief sales officer, otherwise known as the executive director. He or she leads the sales efforts in any successful community out there. It just is the way it, it works. Number two, and, and obviously we're saying the sales directors, the sales team is a part of this, but this team selling involves chief sales officer department heads. Just as I shared with Isaac and Amy, the department heads need to be involved. And think about this for a moment. Since adult children are intimately involved, even more so than ever, in the decision-making process, our department heads typically serve as managers on duty. Well, when do adult children shop? After hours and on weekends, when the manager on duty is leading the sales experience efforts. But we need to make sure we train them, and that's something that I do on a weekly basis, train department heads on how we sell, how we build trust and develop these behaviors. The third group are the frontline team members. That's a big group and that's a tough group because they're difficult from a staffing standpoint. We all know that issue that, are, that, that is there, but we need to train them too because research also points us to when customers are in our communities, they're watching these frontline team members because they know that's the person who's actually going to be interacting the most with their loved one if they choose that community. And then the fourth group of people, and this is by far the most important, Jennifer, and this is based on an ACA study of 800 adult daughters all looking for senior living, and they were asked one simple question, who do you trust the most when buying senior living services? And the answer was surprising. The family members of current residents are the ones that they trust the most in making decisions. Second was the are the residents themselves. So why wouldn't we tap into this expertise and put these residents and especially the residents' families on our team selling list to interact with these prospective residents and their family members who are making this very, very difficult decision out there? You know, families are buying as families. We need to sell as a team also. That's really interesting. Can you, just a quick follow-up on that. Um, when you say it's the re current residents' families that are important to the adult um, daughters, how do you engage your um, a, the residents' family members? Yeah, it really is a holistic answer. We have to develop that trust with those family members when they're considering our communities. And I'm going to have to, and I've always had to do this, I have to assume operational excellence. In other words, I have to assume, and I know at Watercrest this is happening, that operationally, we're keeping all of the promises that sales makes. We're doing a good job, not a perfect job, or not a perfect industry, nor a perfect company, but we're doing a great job. So we have family members of our current residents who are, they feel good about their decision to choose Watercrest. We can then take that relationship equity and ask them to utilize that expertise to help other family members who are making this difficult decision. And at the end of the day, we just want families to make the right decision, an informed decision. 
and they tell me they trust the residents' families more than anyone else, I want to connect them with residents' families so that they can get what they would consider the real story mm -hmm. about what happens in our communities, because we know that what happens in our communities is not, again, what's portrayed in the media, what's portrayed by some of the headwinds that we face as an, as an industry. So again, utilizing those and think about the resident family, the power. If we have 100 residents, and they certainly are great, great experts for what happens in our community, but there are four family members for every one of those 100 residents, according to research. So there's more of them. And since they're making more of the buying decisions now than ever before, they've made that diff difficult decision. And if we have relationships of trust with them, they'll help others make that decision as well. Yeah, so important. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Sure. So you shared that um, as an industry, we have too many leads, too few conversions. One of the ways to work on that is with the sales-centered approach. And um, tell us about how you you mentioned daily sales strategy meetings in the presentation that I saw, and you described what those look like. And so would you do that for our audience as well? Sure. And that's standard number four out of the eight. And it is such a critical, critical component. And sometimes people say, you think all the standards are your favorite. It's kind of like choosing your favorite child. But I probably do say daily strategy meeting is my favorite standard because it encompasses so many of the other standards out there. Daily strategy meeting is based on some great research done by Dr. Margaret Wild at ProMatura. When Dr. Wild surveyed, and this was in June of 2016, Dr. Wild surveyed 302,000 plus sales interactions, just, just examine them. And she basically came up with four words to describe this examination of these sales calls. Velocity and volume, that's one set of words, and time and skills. Let me define those. Velocity and volume means, and many of you are going to smile at this because you've been trained this way, I was trained this way, and here it is. The more pronouns you make, and the more tours you lead, their word, not ours, the more phone outs you make and the more tours you lead, the more your business is going to grow. And Dr. Wall's research says that's just not true. It's mm -hmm. just not true. It's false. It's an ineffective way in which to work with seniors. And it is a, it's not a great service to them in any, in any, any way also. The better approach is time and skills. And that means, and I can sum this up in six words, more time, fewer people better results. Because Dr. Wild said, what we should do is we should take our top 10, she actually says 10 to 12, but let's keep it simple. Our top 10 most likely next move-in families, if that makes sense to your audience. And let's take them and let's focus our team selling efforts on that. And we operationalize that through something called N31 hot board. So if you can visualize a large dry erase board in your community, the daily strategy meeting happens daily. It is a strategic discussion about these 10 families that we think are going to be our next 10 move-ins. And we want to give extra time and extra focus on these 10 families. So four columns. Column number one is the prospective resident's name and their key influencers, typically adult children. Column number two is the needs column. And an important part that I see many of my communities miss we not only need to have the needs of our prospective residents, but also of our adult children, because they are, at the end of the day, customers, and we need to know the needs of our customer. The column number three is our personal connections column, and that is research-based, completely research-based. That says that the information that we get from our discovery 
that is personal in nature is imperative to give our customers a glimpse into what their life could look like in our community. If we list that for not only the prospective residents, but also for the family members as well, the adult children. And then the last column is the magic column, and that's called next steps. And next step is, is nothing more than creative follow-up. It's looking at the information in columns one through three and saying, what can we do to give our customers that glimpse, that taste of our community? What can we do creatively to follow up with them to help them make an informed decision? So this daily strategy meeting is attended by our department heads. It's a daily meeting, as I said, strategic discussions on 10 families only, and somebody has to be the referee. We can't, we can't let, hey, apartment 402 still needs a little bit of, we, we don't get into that. It's a 10 minute maximum stand-up, not the stand-up meeting, but I think standing up is an imperative part of this. Everyone with notepads in hand so that they can volunteer for a creative next step for these 10 families on our board. And again, happening every day, it, it becomes highly energized. And I've seen it in your state with one of the communities that I consult with in the, in the greater Phoenix area, actually. And they probably do it better than any community that I've ever been in. They just do such a great job with this. And remember that Dr. Wild said, and I, you can't remember that because I forgot to say it, but Dr. Wild says, you can expect up to a 45% conversion rate when you focus on 10 families versus the 350, if you're an average community that you have in your lead bank, we focus on 10 at a time. We're gonna convert about half of those using this daily strategy meeting approach. And Dr. Wild ends her research with a statement that I find to be ironic. Here's what she says, over time through permanently high occupancy rates, this approach will revolutionize our industry. And what did our industry do? They ignored it mm. because they phone calls to make, they had phone outs to make, they had tours to lead. We have got to change that mindset because our customers deserve this level of attention. And as I love to say, isn't it nice when the right thing to do and the 1031 board is the right thing to do? Isn't it nice when the right thing to do is also good for our business? Yes. Tell me, um, 1031, you might've said it and I missed it, but what is, so 10 is the 10 or 10 prospects. Yeah. In families and their adult children. The mm -hmm. three is the top three needs for each one of those customers. And it doesn't have to be three. Certainly, you're not going to have three for every person in column number one. The one column, sorry, the third column down, but it, it, it's the 1031. That's the one personal connection that we've made with that customer. And then the fourth column is the next step based on the information in columns number one through three. Got so it. these strategy meetings start off with, uh, okay, Executive Chef Isaac, how, you know, you said you were going to reach out to, you know, the Drago family, you know, how did that go yesterday? And we dry erase, we update the board, the board is constantly, it's a very fluid board, it's constantly being updated, and we're seeing these residents or these prospective residents and their adult children come off the board quickly, because this is such an effective way to generate move-ins. So have you validated um, Margaret's research on your own in terms of that 45% conversion? Do you think that that's accurate or is it actually even higher when it's done well? Well, here's the key to it is execution. Mm -hmm. Execution, it's a tough habit to break to, for people to go from a generic tour, from a one size fits all, from a marketing to the collective mindset. At Watercrest, we do it really, really, really well. But again, it's not, it's not like turning a switch. None of this is flipping a switch. All of this is turning a dial. We make these small changes over time and 
and absolutely, you know, we are seeing those types of results at Watercrest, uh, but in the communities that I consult with, it takes a little bit of practice, takes a little bit of focus, it takes a lot of discipline and intentionality to do that. But that's why that's why I'm on calls like this all the time is to help communities do that. And again, at the end of the day, I do this for our residents because my mother was a resident for four years in senior living, as I shared before. And I know how important it is to get that time and attention, especially when you get it from the entire team. So effective and so important and so deserved by our customers. Yeah, um, so important. We're gonna, I wanna talk a little bit more about adult children and how they're involved in the sales, but just a quick follow-up on the 1031 board is you mentioned that it's important to capture the needs of the adult children as well as the needs of the resident. What are What are some common needs that you hear from adult children? Yeah, they are really, at the end of the day, looking for peace of mind. They want to make a good decision. I attended a conference in 1994 for, with John Maxwell as the speaker, big time speaker. And he made the statement that I'll never forget when he said that one of the five biggest decisions you'll ever make in your life is how you're going to treat your seniors, your loved ones in their later years. And that impacted me so, so, so strongly. And it reminded me of how big what we do is and how important what we do is. So when I think about my role as an adult, I was looking for that community that would make me feel at ease with the decision that I made, not manipulated, not rushed, not hurried, none of that, but someone that made me feel that peace of mind that I had made the right decision. And again, operational excellence has to keep the promises of sales, but that certainly is another, another seminar for another time. Right, right. I appreciate that. Thank you. So um, the statistic that you, well, can you shared a really interesting statistic about um, how uh, adult children of prospective residents are involved in the decision making process. And um, so can you share that again? Yeah. Um, according to some research, up to 87% of all senior living buying decisions are made by adult children. And think about that. And I always ask, and you're great at follow up questions. And I I try to be great at follow-up questions, and I, I want to ask, why is that? I think we know. I think I know. I think you probably know. It's probably a financial concern, but five years ago, this was 53%, and it's now 87%. So something has changed, and again, I don't like to give um, global answers. It's probably different change for each one of those families that we're going to come into contact with. We need to understand what that motivation is, and if we invest a lot of time and finding out their story, we call it deep discovery. It's actually sales standard number one. If we do that, we're gonna get a lot of data, but we're also gonna understand the urgency, the motivation behind the children's role in buying. So every selling, every family's gonna be unique and different and every selling situation is gonna be unique as well. But again, something has changed and that makes us change to say, we need more coverage during off hours. We need to make sure that we see adult children as who they are, and that is customers. They certainly are going to influence the decision, if not make that decision. And so you told us, um, you gave us your own example about how you and your sister were involved in your mom's decision to move. Um, and, you know, other than that, how ideally do you like to involve adult children? And, and what comes to mind is, um, I live in Arizona, and we have lots of seniors here where their adult children are spread across the country. They've retired here, so they're away from their family. So how do you involve adult children when they're not local? 
Yeah. And I, I don't think that that matters nearly as much as some of my peers may say, simply because of technology. You know, we have opportunities for FaceTiming, we have opportunities for virtual experiences, we have opportunities for Zoom meetings like this, we have opportunities for video conferences, we have opportunities to connect residents and residents' families with prospective residents and prospective residents' families. So I don't know that the distance part of it has been a big hindrance for us at Watercrest because we're a Florida-based company. Mm -hmm. The same situations that you have in Arizona too. The key to all of this, I think, is getting that adult child engaged, no matter if it's physically face-to-face -face engaged or technically long distance online engaged. I think they just want to be a part. In fact, I know, let me change that. I know they want to be a part of this process and they want to be treated like customers. So as we are doing asking our questions, we're going to focus on all of those customers, not just the prospective resident, to make sure that all of those needs are understood and then met and exceeded. So when, um, quick follow One more thing, Jennifer, think about, who would be more influential for a 55-year-old adult daughter than a, who is looking for care for their loved one than a 55-year-old adult daughter who had already made that decision to move their loved one in? That's peer-to-peer -peer selling. That's team selling. That's saying, let me step back and let me let the true experts in our communities work and give the real story. And they don't have that level of distrust that we in sales sometimes have to fight, have to fight our way through. They're third-party observers there, but they're, they definitely have skin in the game because they've made that decision. Sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to make that last statement. No, really important. Thank you. So we've already mentioned this so far. You shared that you think we manage too many prospects as an industry. Uh, yeah. How many is too many, and what's a good number that's manageable and allows for appropriate follow-up? And I know your answer may not be popular, but I, I really want to hear what you truly think about this. Yeah, not a lot of that I say is popular because it's hard work, but it's the right thing to do for our customers. And I fell into this way before 2016 when I was selling uh, senior living services and, and I had the velocity and volume training too. And I thought that doesn't make sense to me, but I finally found my own way. And that own way has now been verified by research. That's exciting. So how many are too many? That's a tough question. As I said, the average community has about 350 and certainly that number can be much higher can be lower in some cases too. But I'll go back to Dr. Wild's research and say, no matter how many you have, your focus needs to be not on growing your lead bank. That's marketing to the collective. And as one of my peers in the industry once said, she said, we don't have a lead generation problem. We have a lead conversion problem. And oh, could that completely, completely true. So I'll go back to Dr. Wild's research and say, let's work with 10 at a time. And what's your going Excuse me, what you're going to find as you work with these daily strategy meeting 1031 boards, people are going to come off the board quickly and you're going to be bringing family number 11 up and family number 12. That doesn't mean we ignore the other families in our CRMs, but we do work with them to try to get them up on the board so that our team can have access to them as well. And we really don't, and think about when we invest our time in lead management and lead generation, that costs us money. Lead costs money. And if we already have enough leads, why would we invest our time there versus converting the leads that we have out there? When we don't, when we generate these extra leads, all we're doing is generating leads that are become frustrated because we don't have the time to creatively follow up 
with those families as is. So I'm not sure why that's still the addiction in our industry, but it is. But I think that that's something that needs to change. Velocity and volume makes zero sense at the mm -hmm. end of the day. I'm going to ask a follow-up question that is not part of the questions we discussed. I hope it's okay, but you've made me think about, um, you know, this discussion about lead gen and kind of the top, filling the top of the funnel, right? And in senior living, what I'm used to is um, we use a lot of direct mail. We invite people either to come in for a tour or um, seminars, things like that. So you know, your focus obviously is on the conversion once they've shown interest um, and, and creating that experience. But what's your what's your recommendation on top of the funnel activities? How are we generating that initial interest? Is it still the same? I love that question. And, and please don't hear that. I think that lead generation is not important. It's important. But when we already have done the work there and these leads are sitting there and they are not touched, Mm -hmm. in a consistent cadence out there. It just makes me wonder where our time and resources actually are going. We do need lead generation. We knew, do need events. We knew, do need, especially with this burgeoning of new clientele that are coming on board. I mean, the number of seniors is going to double by the year 2050. We need to make sure that they understand who we are and what we do. But once we get them in, it really becomes how are we going to treat them once they come in? And if we haven't engaged our team in that team selling concept, we're going to be one person struggling with this number of leads that are coming in, that it becomes overwhelming. And again, it becomes frustrating for the sales team, for the community, but also most importantly, for the prospective resident and their family members too, because nobody's following up with them. Follow-up is just, it's almost non-existent in our industry today. And again, that's not me saying that, that's research saying that. Yeah. Let's talk about follow-up. You promoted a couple of things when I heard you talk about prospect follow-up, fast follow-up and creative follow-up. And so would you talk about those sales principles? Yeah, let me let me talk about follow-up period, first of all. I did research. This is probably seven or eight years ago now, Jennifer, but I, I wanted to find out what research told us about follow-up. And I found 12 different research articles. And as I looked through those, they didn't agree. <laughs> with what follow up was like, what they did agree on is that we don't do it often. Somewhere between seven and 47% of the time, do we follow up at all? And just wrap your head around that statistic for a moment. That means on our very best day, with our very best behaviors, we're still following up less than half of the time. Wow. It, that, that's a tough statistic for me to stomach. And again, it goes back to are we generating so many leads that we can't follow up with it? My answer is yes. So we have to. Be careful with our lead sourcing. And I'm going to talk about that in just a couple of moments. But first, let me talk about my personal experience. Remember the 11 communities that I visited with my mom? Three followed up at all. Two of them followed up one time. And one of them followed up beautifully. It is the community that we ended up choosing. But that's how rare follow-up is in our industry. When we think about fast follow-up, there's research. And I call this speed to lead. A lot of companies will say that. We want to be the first person to follow up with an inquiry, no matter the source, no matter the source, they deserve follow up. And within 30 minutes is probably a little ambitious, probably much, very much a stretch goal. But being the first to follow up is not a stretch goal. It's something that we should do. But that means that with our adult children leading these buying decisions, that means that we need to form what we call inquiry response teams. That means it's not just the salesperson that's inquiring or that's following up. It's 
that's the team that's following up. That means additional training for your team members so that they do know how to follow up. Following up first statistically shows that we have our, it generates 25% higher chance of getting that move in. So that's fast follow-up. Persistent and creative follow-up is just one of my favorite things in the world to talk about. And that means that we're going to follow up five times in the first three days. And again, statistically based, that's the best approach. When I was speaking with Watercrest and interviewing with them, the C CFO there, Joni Williams, who is just a delightful person, one of my favorite people on earth, he asked me, she said, hey, what's your philosophy on follow-up? I said, Joni, I think we should do it five times in the first three days. And she looked me square in the eye and she said, well, that's harassment. And I said, you're right, but give me a chance to explain. If we use different modalities and different people, oh, team selling's coming back in, different modalities such as texting, such as video conferencing, such as creating a video with one of our residents and their family members doing an activity, if we write handwritten thank you notes, if we FaceTime with them, if we all these different ways to follow up with them, and we involve other people in that follow-up, department heads, residents, residents, family members, our chief sales officer, executive director, we then are just giving them the right amount of attention. And again, there are so many, I have 150 different success stories based just on creative follow-up that I have, uh, I have uh, collected over the years. And some of them are like, um, notes that are sent out from all department heads promising excellence from their department if this customer chooses to live in that community. And, and the community that I was consulting with, I said, do we send that via regular mail? And they said, sure. And I said, FedEx. Send it FedEx. Doesn't that create urgency when we show that we not only follow up, we follow up fast, we follow up urgently, we follow up with per, uh, persistence and with creativity. And it just, it just was a huge hit in this community. Um, one of my all-time favorites was a gentleman that I worked with in Lexington, Kentucky, at a community there who said, I just like to end the day sitting in my rocking chair with a glass of Woodford Reserve. I mean, it is Kentucky, by the way. So that's one of our fine bourbons here in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. so what did we do? We followed up with him by taking a picture of a rocking chair on a back patio with a bottle of Woodford Reserve and a big tag on there that said reserved exclusively for Richard Reese. Wow. And we took we sent it to him. Do you think that was an impactful message to send to Mr. Reese? Oh, I mean, communities don't do things like this, but that's what creative and persistent follow-up can do for you. And again, I have so many other stories, but I know we don't have time to talk about all of those today. I hope you're going to write a book sometime in the near future <laughs> to share all of this. <laughs> I could listen to you talk for hours. Um, <laughs> tell me, um, so what sales metrics, right? So now I'm going back to the executives who are saying, okay, I want to increase my conversion rate. I want to try some of these strategies that Michael's talking about. What are the metrics that you like to focus on and that you would urge other senior living executives to focus on? And are there any that are kind of non-traditional that we don't normally think of? Yeah, and I think this is probably the most troubling question that we will discuss today simply because there's just not of data out there. Many years ago, when I was vice president of sales for one of the larger senior living communities, I actually contacted some big names in our industry and said, hey, what is an acceptable conversion rate? And I got crickets. I was shocked at mm -hmm. the lack of conversion information we have. So we kind of pieced some things together, used some common sense, and, and really came up as a starting point with First of all, 10, we only convert 10% of our leads, and that's a well-known statistic. It's actually 9.7, I think, is the very latest. 
So we gen need to generate 10 inquiries to get one lead. That's unacceptable, folks. Remember the 45% conversion I talked about if we use the daily strategy meeting 1031 hot board? That's the future of our industry is converting more with fewer leads. And I'm going to talk about that again in a moment. But to answer your question, we came up with the 50% inquiry to experience conversion is acceptable. 25% mm -hmm. experience to move in, one out of four. And then we put a little stretch goal in and we made it 12% instead of the 10% that is in the industry now as our inquiry to move in goal. And again, at Watercrest, we've exceeded all of those conversions. I probably need to update those. But those are kind of the metrics that most companies will look at. But if you have this sales-centered culture and, and the execution and adoption of that, you're going to need much fewer leads, so much less marketing expenditure dollars and time and resources and all of that. Um, so we really need to look at the source of these leads when we think about conversion. Any community that doesn't have resident and resident family as their number one source of move-ins, let me say that again. Any community that doesn't have resident and resident family referrals as their number one source of move-ins has a great opportunity in front of them. Mm. I've never worked in a community as the sales leader that that wasn't my number one. And it doesn't take long to establish that. So as you have people that are listening to this that are saying, where do I start? That's a darn good place to start. Making sure that we are getting those referrals from our residents and family members. And many times that just means asking them and creating that trust-based relationship and then tapping into that expertise of that. But I don't, I want to walk away from this with pure clarity. That's not the most important thing we do with our resident and resident family members. The most important thing is getting them involved in that creative follow-up piece. Mm -hmm. And we also want to get referrals from them because referrals from resident and resident families are one of the top two highest converting um, move-in source or lead sources that we can have. But remember, if you're not getting 45 to 50% conversion from your 1031 hot board, probably need some opportunity. Do you have some opportunity there too for expansion and, and, and more intentionality with that board too? And I certainly can help you with that as well, because again, we've given, we've gone through this very, very quickly. And now all I can think about is writing a book, Jennifer. So you put that thought into my mind. Awesome. Today. I think you have a couple in your future, a couple of books. So <laughs> I hope that's part of your, uh, your retirement plan. Although I know retirement is not going to happen because you seem really dedicated to um, elevating the experience that all of our prospects have and elevating our industry. Um, and that's what um, I find so inspirational about listening to you. So tell us more as we wrap up about where we can find you and how people can connect with you. And I'll also yeah. include this info in the show notes as well, but please tell us. Right. Yeah, you can reach me at M-M-A-R-L-O-W, so M-Marlow at watercrestslg.com. As Jennifer was kind enough to mention at the start, I also am president of the Marlow Group, and that's a consulting agency that I work with different associations across the U.S. and have done a little bit of international work there as well and certainly can talk about that as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm on the resident side and I always will be on the resident side. And perhaps I didn't feel that way quite as strongly until I became a prospective resident's family member and I saw how the industry treated its customers. And I said, OK, from this point on, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to help our industry improve 
and make sure that we are serving our customers because servant leadership is the backbone of Watercrest Senior Living. And it should also be, I believe, the backbone of our careers as salespeople in the senior living space. So I really appreciate the opportunity to share that information with your viewers. Yeah, thank you so much. And I love that you mentioned servant leadership. And I mean, the, the reality is the reason most of us went into senior living or health related is because we wanted to make an impact and how amazing of an impact can we have when we go and individualize that experience as you shared and give not just the prospective resident, but their family members peace of mind that they're making the best decision. Um, it's such a, it's, you mentioned kind of almost having to talk, I don't, you didn't use these words, but talk your mom into <laughs> um, going to see some senior living, you know, it was a, it was a conversation that took a while and I can understand that it's a scary time, fear, distress for the entire family. And um, the things that you've described today really take that away and make it an enjoyable experience, not only for the resident and the resident's families, but I think for us as the, in, you know, the department heads and the sales managers and the executive directors of these communities, what a great way to feel about the work that we do um, and how we bring people into this, in, into our world. So thank you so much for sharing that. I can feel your passion. I can feel your heart. Um, every time you speak, now I've heard you twice, um, and I'm going to look you up every time you're at uh, a local <laughs> conference. I encourage <laughs> others to do that as well. But I just want to, again, thank you for your time today and for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you for the opportunity, Jennifer. I've really enjoyed it. You bet. So I'm Jennifer Drago. You've been listening to Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we explore cutting edge ideas and breakthroughs that are shaping the future of the senior living industry. I hope that you'll subscribe to be notified each time a new episode drops, and you can do that at SeniorLivingVisionaries.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries.